0: This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or for anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is from Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1-6. through It's the basis of the sermon at First Free Methodist Church on September 17, 2023. It's part of our series called Vitality, Rest, Renew, Reset, as we live into a life of renewal. Well, you're probably wondering why in the world is there a sermon out of Haggai? I find that most people in the churches I've served over the years I've never heard a sermon, a bible study, a teaching, a quotation or anything from the book of Haggai. Haggai is a beloved book for me. I uh, spent a tremendous amount of time when I was uh, working on my undergraduate degree in biblical studies and theology in the book of Haggai. And uh, I always find this story very intriguing, and so as part of this series I thought it would it would be good to take to take a look at some of these books in the bible that we rarely spend any time with as a matter of fact this entire four-week series called Vitality Rest Renew are all from some of those books, often wrongly called the Minor Prophets, uh, to help us understand better how we might live as a vital people. So let's hear the reading from Haggai chapter 1 beginning at verse 1, and this is the 2020 revision of the New American Standard Bible that I'm reading from. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, This is what the Lord of the armies says. This people says the time is not come, the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses? While this house remains desolate. Now then, the Lord of armies says this. Consider your ways. You have sown much, only to harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but there is not enough for anyone to get warm. And those who earn, earn wages to put in a money bag full of holes. Well, we need to start uh, by looking at the prophet Haggai by taking some time to look carefully at his context. Haggai is what's called by many of us in the English-speaking world uh, one of the minor prophets. Now, the notion of a minor prophet and a major prophet uh, is a strictly Christian designation. For the Jewish community and as part of Jewish scripture, these are just prophets. And so the first thing I'd suggest to us that we might want to consider is that using the word minor when it comes to some of these prophets is something that perhaps we might just best leave behind. Haggai chapter 1 opens with a very clear statement of the timing of this story. It's in the second year of Darius the king, the first day of the sixth month. We know the date, August 29, 520 B.C.E. That rarely happens in the Bible where we actually know the exact date and that something happens. And this is one of those days, one of those texts that tells us the exact date. Now, Darius was king of Persia, the Persian Empire. And uh, there were several different kings of the Persian Empire named Darius, in much the same way. If you think of the English monarchy today, there are many of the monarchs who bear the same name, or popes, for example, in the Roman Catholic Church that bear the same names. In this case, it's Darius I, Hastaspes is how you say the entire name, and uh, Darius I is the son of Cambyses, who is the son of Cyrus. Now Cyrus is an important figure, I'll get to that in just a second, but Haggai is what's called one of the post-exilic prophets. And what we mean by that is that the people of Judah were carried away in a Babylonian exile. The Babylonians came in three different waves and conquered uh, the ancient community of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem, uh, beginning in 605 BCE, then 597, and then finally in 586. Now, it didn't take too much time for this Babylonian empire, which is actually called the Neo-Babylonian Empire, to fall just 67 years later. And when the Neo-Babylonian Empire fell, uh, the Persian Empire took its place. And when the Persian Empire came to power, uh, the king of Persia at that time was Cyrus, the grandfather of Darius, who is the king of Persia when Haggai is written, allowed the Jewish exiles who had been taken away from their land in Palestine to return to it. So Haggai's word from the Lord that he's going to bring forth at this moment in time is after the exiles have returned. And keep in mind, not many of them did return. Many of them stayed in Babylon, what was then Persia. But those who did come back had been in the land for some amount of time. The word of the Lord comes to two people. It's addressed to two people. So Haggai is the prophet, and the message is addressed to Zerubbabel and Joshua, Zerubbabel, who is the governor over the vassal state of Judah, now part of the Persian Empire, and Joshua, who is the high priest. In the case of both of these individuals, Zerubbabel and Joshua, their respective grandfathers or great uncles were part of the ruling class of Judah before the exile. Many scholars believe that Zerubbabel has a, a claim to the Davidic throne and that Joshua has linkage to the high priest before the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586. Now, both of these people are perhaps the intended audience for all two chapters of the book of Haggai. Haggai contains a total of four oracles, and they're spoken over a period of about three and a half months. And these and the episodes of other biblical books like Ezra and Nehemiah may have already occurred by the time the prophet Haggai comes on the scene. Now, all that history simply opens up a key passageway for us that we should pay attention to. That God is speaking at all times, and especially in the hardest times. This is one of the three prophetic books in the Bible occurring after the exile, as I mentioned a moment ago. This is a post-exilic prophet after the exile there's three post-exilic prophets they happen to be the final three books of what we call the old testament or jewish scripture h-z-m haggai zechariah and malachi haggai zechariah and malachi even in the ruin of their civilization for these three prophets the destruction of jerusalem by the babylonians only a small fraction of the jewish people returning to their homeland And all the life that's been lost, all of the devastation, all of the ways in which their lives have been disrupted and thrown into upheaval for nearly 70 years, God is still speaking. Most Christians, to be honest, forget these three books are even here Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. But they contain an important message for us God is speaking, God is working, God is moving at all times at issue is nothing more than our awareness of it. Now verse 2 turns to a question of timing. Uh, Verse 2 says, this is what the Lord of the Armies said or says. It's a strange title, and it's a title for God, the Lord of the Armies, that's used often in the book of Haggai. It evokes the supremacy and the sovereignty of God, that God is the commander or controller. So if you were to envision what this text is uh, trying to conjure to us in terms of the image of God we see here, it's the sovereignty or this greatness of God. And what's interesting in that verse is that, uh, that God begins speaking through Haggai the prophet, and the very first thing that God says is this. This people says, the time has not come for the time of the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. This people says. This is an important construction for the message of Haggai. He, the, the first word that God speaks here is this, this people. Not my people, this people. It's the word this in English, we call it the near demonstrative. And what's important to notice is that there's a distance here, a distance between God and the people. It's not my people. It's this people, the people over here, uh, the people that are not fully mine, these people. And then we learn early on that all is not right with these people in their current state. So there's this intimacy with God that has been lost. And Haggai really uses this disruptive language as God speaks, this people says, The time has not come, the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. So this time has not yet come. It's not a matter of if the house of the Lord will be rebuilt, but when. Well, what house are we talking about here? We're talking about the Jewish temple, the place where the Jewish people would gather in Jerusalem for worship together. There was a first temple built by Solomon that was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586. It's now 70 or so plus years later and now the people have returned, and there's no temple still. The temple hasn't been rebuilt. And so what Haggai is saying is this people is saying the time hasn't come to rebuild this temple. There were simply other priorities for them. And then again, another key piece of language here as we kind of move through this verse, this people says the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. That word, the phrase house of the Lord is important. Because the Hebrew word here is not the Hebrew word for temple, like the Jewish temple, but house. It was actually the common word that people would use for their own home. And so what's happening here is that God is wondering why there's no home for him. How have the people prioritized their own God? That there's that people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt, Now, rebuilt is important, and you need to walk through a little bit of what this means in the scope of the Bible. Uh, The first uh, kind of structure that was ever built that was designed to carry out Jewish worship according to the law of Moses was a tabernacle, and Moses was given the instructions for this tabernacle. This tabernacle was a tent, and it was the place where divine worship was carried out by the Jewish priest, and that tent or tabernacle existed from the time of Moses all the way up until Solomon had built the first temple. Now the temple itself was built in Jerusalem by Solomon. It was planned by King David. David drew up all the drawings, but Solomon, his son, was the one who built it. The temple, just imagine it as uh, almost similar in structure, and then the rooms were the same, the furnishings were the same, but the building itself was bigger. It was larger. Now, that building was destroyed by the Babylonians, by King Nebuchadnezzar in 586. And so Jerusalem has no temple. And so the question in verse 2 is a question of timing that God is asking the people. How is it that the time hasn't come for me to have a home in my own land? It's another key passageway for us in this text that God seeks to be present with this people. You know, the lack of a temple is indicative of several things. One is that there's this desire on God's part to be close to his people. And this lack of a temple kind of indicates that the people, they don't really care about being that close with God because the temple's not there. So the message is clear. The people have said now is not the time. So then God is basically asking in verse two, rhetorically, when will it be time? Everyone has a house, just not God. And it's not so much that God needs a house. God seeks to be present with the people and their commitment to building or rebuilding the temple signifies their own desire for that closeness. And we must remember this, that God seeks to be present with us. And so what's at stake isn't God's presence with us. It's our willingness and desire to be with God in that space and to have that time of being present. We turn now to verses 3 and 4 of this passage in Haggai 1. And we hear clearly it's a matter of priorities. It says that the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet again in verse 4. And here's the rhetorical question. It's actually not that rhetorical, to be honest. God says, is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house remains desolate? There's a bit of a mixed message here. Um, This idea of paneling, you know, the God is saying, is it time for you to live in your paneled houses while this house remains desolate? Well, what's a paneled house? The word there for paneling in Hebrew literally means covering, covering or being covered. Paneling can be considered expensive paneling for one's walls. It could also be the word for roof, walls, who knows what. But regardless, the statement is one of contrast. It's not about what kind of paneling there is. It's a matter of contrast that people live in houses with a covering, whether covering on the walls or covering on the roof, whatever it is. But God's house doesn't have any of those things. And that's the latter part of the question in verse four. While this house remains desolate, Again, it's the same common word for house. It doesn't say, while this temple remains desolate, it says, while this house remains desolate. There's a sense in which God wants to be with the people, but there's no house for God to be in to be with them. Now, when the people returned from exile, we know that they set about a reconstruction. We can read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that tell us about what happened when the exiles returned from Persia and the things that they began to do. Now, Haggai's ministry comes almost two decades after that time. Two decades after Ezra had returned and began rebuilding. As you know, Ezra was dedicated, Ezra was a scribe and dedicated to helping the people reacquire some sense of their knowledge of the law. Nehemiah came later, who was dedicated to the rebuilding of the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Those two books tell us a lot of the history that happened in this episode. But during that time, apparently people built homes with some of them being quite extravagant. And during that same time, work halted on the Jewish temple. Now, we know from Ezra that the economy was very difficult for the Jewish people when they returned. They had a very, very difficult time making a living when they returned, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But there's a key passageway for us here, that priorities are revealed in behaviors, not speech. It's clear where the priorities of the people, especially where Zerubbabel and Joshua are. Those are the two leaders of these exiles that have returned. Years have gone by since the initial work on the temple had started and was halted. God's place in their lives, and perhaps very specifically, God's place in the life of Zerubbabel and Joshua, Zerubbabel the governor, Joshua the high priest is quite clear. They can say what they like but their actions are clear. So when we think about our priorities, the things that matter to us, the things that are the most important to us, we have to look at our concrete actions rather than the words we use or the intentions that we have. Priorities are all about behaviors and actions, and we need to look at those first. finally we turn to verses 5 and 6. Now God points to the results of their priorities in this oracle that is delivered to Haggai and uses an important phrase here in the very end of verse 5. It says, now then the Lord of the army says, consider your ways. It literally says in Hebrew, put your heart to the paths you have walked. It's a remarkable statement that we see here. A remarkable statement What God asks the people to do is to reflect on the fruitfulness of their actions. In other words, their priorities that they've set for they themselves to have paneled houses, but for God's house to lie desolate. There's ramifications or consequences of that. So God is saying, consider how you've fared. Look at how things have gone. Put your heart to the paths you've walked. Look carefully at what's happened. And then there's a five- Fold standard that's put before them. It's that you've sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're not, it's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, it's not enough to become drunk. You're clothed, but you don't have enough clothing to stay warm. You earn, but you have a purse with holes in it almost. And a piece of trivia for you here to remember is when it talks about urns, that you put coins in a purse with holes, put money in a purse with holes, this is the first mention of coinage or currency in the entire Bible in Haggai chapter uh, chapter one. It's never mentioned before that All systems of economic life were uh, as a result of barter or trading. This is the first time we see currency in the entire Bible. And we have examples of Persian coins that were used during this era. So we know that coinage and currency were a part of what was happening in the ancient world even at this time. Now, this entire a kind of accounting of how things have gone for the Jewish people since they've returned is important. Well, of course, we read in Ezra and Nehemiah some of the many obstacles and the economic obstacles the Jews faced when they returned. When they returned to the city of Jerusalem after their exile, they had found out that Israelites from the north who uh, had somehow survived being conquered by the Assyrian empire almost 200 years earlier, those Israelites had, from Samaria, had moved in to the city of Jerusalem and taken it over. So when the Jews came back, they found that their entire region had been settled by Israelites from Samaria, and these Israelites were resistant to the Judeans rebuilding their temple. They were resistant to every effort the exiles made to reestablish their life. If you're wondering, this is the beginning of the the hatred and the enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans, that the Samaritans opposed the Jews when they came back from their exile. Ezra and Nehemiah tell us all these stories to help us understand this. But the theology of what we read in Haggai is important. It's deeply covenantal. And what that means is it's grounded in the covenant language that we find in the book of Deuteronomy. In this covenant that God makes with the people, God basically says, if you do this, this will happen. In other words, the commandments he's giving them, if you keep them, this is the promise that will happen. And he says to them, if you don't do this, then this other thing will happen. Well, it appears the other thing has happened. They sow much, they harvest little. They eat, but they're not satisfied. They drink, but they don't become drunk. They have clothing, but not enough to be warm. They earn money, but they put it in a purse with holes in it. It's less about the cursing that happens to them but it's really more about the natural consequences of their actions. And those natural consequences um, of those actions are actions exemplified in their leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua. And in some ways, what this book might be inviting us to think about is this, um, this income and wealth divide between Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the people. Apparently, Zerubbabel and Joshua don't have trouble eating enough, drinking enough, having enough clothes, but the people do. And, and so to mix metaphors here just a little bit, this is somewhat like uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua might be saying to the people, let them eat cake uh, in a reference to Marie Antoinette. If, if that, the, it's the, the people that are starving, they're starving not only economically, but they're starving for vision and priorities and they're just getting by. And their financial state mirrors their spiritual state. They look the same. They're in a wasteland while this temple lies desolate. And that's the final key passageway for us here, that we have to carefully examine life and practices regularly. I once had a therapist who often said to me, the body never lies. And it was a way of acknowledging the fact that sometimes in our physical body, the things that are wrong in our body, the things that we're struggling with, the, the body's always telling us the truth about things. It's helping us understand what may or may not be working well in other parts of our lives. And so consider your ways are the words of God in Haggai is sound advice for today. In this age we live in of inflation, in debt, uncertainty, and the incivility of this time, perhaps we need to consider our ways We need to look at our concrete acts of devotion, worship, generosity, and wonder, and ask ourselves the same question. Does God have the place in our lives we think he should, or perhaps better, does God have the place in our lives that God wants to have? If you have comments or reflections, I invite you to visit my website, RevCraig.com, when you... Visit the site, you'll see the word news in the upper right-hand corner. Click on news, you'll see a drop-down menu to the word podcast, and then you can click on this week's episode and leave a comment. I'd also welcome you to visit our church's website, ffmc.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.